we were on the uh, very brink of Good Friday, the events of Good Friday, uh, and, and of course Easter Sunday as well. Now, last week, um, we cancelled 5pm service uh, because we lost power here and uh, several roads were closed and so we thought, well, uh, I'm not sure whether anyone will be able to make it, but also it was probably safer um, if, if, if you stayed at home that particular night. Um, nevertheless, in the morning, we actually started uh, a mini-series. Now, if you um, head to our website, you can actually catch up on part one of that series. So, tmpcq.org.au. I encourage you to do so, because last week we picked the story up where uh, Judas decided to betray Jesus. But actually, we spent most of our time reflecting on the Last Supper, what we have come to know as the Lord's Supper. And so it's an extremely important topic, so I'd encourage you to catch up if you can. And at the Last Supper, Jesus would use the occasion of the Passover and the bread and the wine to teach his disciples and every disciple since something crucial about his death, namely that it is for you. It is for you, Jesus says, but remember me. And remember him how? Well, not in the way that perhaps you might remember to pick up something from IGA on your way home tonight, although IGA would be closed because this is the mountain. Um, perhaps uh, on your way home from work, say. Not, not, not in that way, but perhaps in the way that a working man or woman travelling far from home might remember their spouse. That the man might remember his wife in a way that reminds him of his identity and in a way that shapes his behaviour and keeps him faithful to her. And so this evening I want to start with a simple question. Um, how are you going? It's not the same question as I asked before. Uh, right now we're going to do a quick 15 second, 30 second spiritual health check. Just, just in the quietness of your own mind, just in the quietness of your own heart, how are you going in your walk with Jesus? 15 seconds. Well, I wonder what questions you've just asked yourself. That is, what metrics do you use to evaluate your spiritual life and progress? So, how do you measure yourself? And then also, how do you measure up? Now, I'm guessing that not only would everyone have a different answer, but everyone would answer it in a different way, right? Perhaps according to the regularity of your Bible reading. 
or perhaps according to the liveliness of your prayer life or the keenness of your, of your evangelistic witness or your, your victory over, over a certain habitual sin or perhaps even just your, your general observance of the Ten Commandments. But if you sense that you are a less than perfect disciple, then today's message is for you. Because today we dwell on Peter. Peter, the rock on which Jesus would build his church. Now the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, are full of Peter. Okay, because no other disciple spoke as much as Peter did. Peter had what you might refer to as foot-in-mouth disease. And sometimes he would open his mouth only to switch feet. He was very impulsive. And his personality stands out from the rest of the disciples because he wasn't afraid to put himself out there. He was fiercely independent and, and very secure in himself. And so on one occasion as Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he, he came to Peter's feet. And what did Peter, Peter say? Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? As if he was perhaps a special case. And Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, of course, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my, not just my feet, but my, but my hands and my head also. Another occasion, actually immediately after that Jesus, pardon, that Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, as Jesus is speaking, explaining that he will have to suffer and die, Peter takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. But of course, Jesus rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And last week, in the first half of Luke chapter 22, we read that as Jesus was teaching his disciples what his death would mean for them. They got into an argument as to who among them was considered to be the greatest. And we all know who probably won. Peter, right? And yet only moments later, Jesus would say this. Peter was also known as Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And that when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And sort of a hopeful and an ominous tone in that, that is, when you turn back, right, implying that he would turn away. But Peter, right, ever self-assured, replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And then today, in the, in the reading that Naomi brought to us, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen in the Mount of Olives, they said, Lord, 
Lord, should we strike with our swords? And you want to guess who didn't wait for an answer? Peter, right? In John's Gospel, we read, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, pardon, the high priest's servant, (coughs) cutting off his ear. Right, presumably he could have decapitated the man. Right? He, was, he was a fisherman. He was not a soldier. So however you read the Gospels, whatever metric that you use to evaluate Peter's spiritual life and progress, Peter was a less than perfect disciple. He was impatient. He was impulsive. And yet he was a little slow to learn. And so it's fair to say, I've always felt a very special connection to Peter. And so I've entitled this talk, When You Fail as a Disciple. When You Fail as a Disciple. And I wonder if your heart yearns, like mine does, to hear what the gospel has to say when, not if, when you fail as a disciple. Well, let's follow Peter as he follows Jesus. If you have your Bibles open there, chapter 22, verse 54. As the chief priests, officers of the temple guard and the elders arrest him. Verse 54, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter, Peter followed at a distance. No one else is said to have followed but Peter. But he follows not out of devotion, sort of out of a curiosity. Peter sort of quietly sat down in the the middle of the courtyard and hoping to blend into the crowd, but he couldn't, right? His sort of rough, rough fisherman looks, his rough Galilean accent made him stand out. Imagine a sort of a thick Australian ochre accent versus a, a posh English accent. And a servant girl is the first to recognise him. She says, this, this, man, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else said, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. And the third challenge there is, is more serious. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly, certainly this man Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And and John's Gospel, again, actually tells us that this man was a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. But Peter replies with just as much conviction, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. But even more shocking than that is what we learn next. I'm not sure if this stood out to you. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, we don't know exactly the layout of things, 
but that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter meant that Peter had just denied Jesus in his very presence. And Jesus knew it. The depth of Peter's failure is revealed. And Peter, of course, full of remorse, broke down and he, and he weeps bitterly. Now, I wonder if Peter was your friend or if Peter was your son, what you would have to say to him the next time you had a deeper meaningful. Well, now we're going to turn to another gospel, to John's gospel, to read of the first time that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, has a one-on-one encounter with, with Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 21. I'll have it up on the screen, but it is always helpful to be able to have it there in front of you as well. So John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's his disciples it is. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Now, why does Jesus... Repeat his question three times, I wonder. Surely it's in parallel with Peter's three denials, although you notice that Jesus doesn't mention them here. Yet Jesus does not say, Peter, are you sorry? Jesus does not say, Peter, have you learned your lesson? Jesus does not say, Peter, will you try harder from now on? See, the answer to all those questions would surely have been an emphatic yes. Yes, Lord. But Jesus asks a much more challenging question. Peter, do you love me? 
Now, that is a category that I don't think we often contemplate. And yet that is Jesus' question to Peter because that is what he cares about. And so what sort of questions did you ask yourself in the quietness of your own mind, in the quietness of your own heart, in our quick 15-second spiritual health check? In other words, what metrics do you use to evaluate your spiritual life and progress? Because Jesus' question is this, do you love me? It's so threatening, isn't it? It's threatening because it's so unambiguous. I once sought advice from a preacher whom I greatly admired. I still do. And in reflecting on his own preaching and his own people, he said, look, I don't care how well they behave so much as how much they love Jesus. I was a little taken aback at first. But his point was that our love for Jesus is the key. Our love for Jesus fuels our following him. So what are the things in your heart that captures your love, that displaces your love of Jesus? See, all sin is at its heart idolatry. So what lurks beneath the surface? What lurked beneath the surface for Peter? Power, approval, comfort, control. And the key, friends, to unearthing these and then uprooting them from our lives is actually understanding Jesus' love for us. Because it is Jesus' love for us that stirs our love for him. And Peter got it right, that Jesus loved him and died for him despite his failings, actually for his failings, meant that Peter got not just a new lease of life, but a new gift of life. See, Peter understood what he hadn't before, that he was saved by grace and grace alone. There was no more spectacular failure than Peter's. And friends, yet isn't Peter us? How often do we begin with the best intentions, the most lofty goals, only to find ourselves falling short? How often do we feel like we're, we're seeing progress in our own personal sanctification only to lapse? How often do we pray, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death only to remain silent when the opportunity presents itself? J.I. Packer, the theologian, once reflected, we are all members of the Fellowship of Failure of which Peter is the founding member. Very true, isn't it? I've been reading a book. Uh, feel free to borrow it if you, if you wish. 
called the imperfect disciple. Grace for people who can't get their act together. There's something very attractive about that, isn't there? Very attractive. And in it, the author Jared Wilson writes this. What is discipleship then but following Jesus, not on some religious quest to become bigger, better or faster, but to become more trusting of his mercy toward our total inability to become those things? In the end, as in the beginning, it is not our good intentions or even our good deeds that will get us out of the muck of ourselves. It is God's rescuing hand. It is his enduring announcement over us messed up creatures. I love you. It changes everything. And so friends, here is the good news of the gospel. We may be imperfect disciples, but we have a perfect saviour. What do we do when we fail? What happens when we fail? We remember that Jesus didn't. We remember that he obeyed, that he persevered. See, Jesus doesn't call perfect people. He calls imperfect people. So we don't need to measure ourselves by our standards or the standards of anyone else. And then we don't need to measure up. In the gospel, we may be honest about our failures because the gospel says that Jesus loves you in the midst of them. Jesus meets failure with forgiveness, with encouragement and hope. So I want to say, friends, that you are not your failure. You are not your past. You are not your guilt. You are not your shame. You are not the sum of your spiritual accomplishments and religious devotion. You are a great sinner but we have a great saviour. You are a child of God and he loves you and he will never leave you or forsake you. The elders here are meeting again tomorrow. We met earlier in the year and we're meeting again tomorrow to continue to to get our bearings as, as an eldership team but also as a church and to chart our course for the future. But our prayer will be that as a church, we will be a people who love Jesus. We will fail, but failure is not final. Peter would fail again. You read on in Acts, Galatians. It's clear, Peter fails again. Peter wasn't perfect. But God still used him in extraordinary ways because Peter knew God's love for him through Jesus. Despite his faults and failures. And so the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus 
who had already taken Peter's place. He'd already taken Peter's place. The risen Jesus who, who has already taken your place asks you, do you love me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace that is found in the gospel, the forgiveness that meets our failures. And so we ask that it would be your love for us, Jesus' love for us on the cross that stirs our love for him and fuels our following him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.